Hey everyone, my name is Pastor Dina and thank you so much for joining us for Northeast Christian Church Online Services. Please be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms to keep up to date with all that's going on here in our church. Also, if you would like to rewatch today's sermon, you can look us up on Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Podcast. Well, thank you and enjoy the rest of service. And uh, you can exit out the back and go up to the ducks. That video pretty much said everything. God bless. It was, I was like, man, I wish I could talk like that. You know, the, the, what a cool voice and a cool message and wonderful and happy Easter to all of you. Thank you for all of you that are here. Those of you joining us online, those of you watching this later in the future, first of all, Please make sure, Sienna, that you take a flower. Please make sure any of you that love these flowers, take them. I just need to take one aside for my wife. She's not feeling good today. And if you're wondering, I'll like bite you if you try to take that one. But, but uh, if you're here and you're going to a family or friends and you're like, I don't want to go empty handed. Oh, we got to get an Easter lily or just grab one and take it with you. And uh, happy Easter. Glad you're here. Uh, welcome to the last service, and I want to talk with you today about Easter changing everything. Before I do that, let me just say a couple of things. I am so glad that the brunt of COVID is behind us. For an extroverted introvert, it has driven me crazy. I am a social junkie, and like more people means more fun. And it has been like I've been under a three-year prison sentence. It's been terrible, and so. A couple of things we've been thinking of doing. First of all, we're like, there's no reason in a church our size that we couldn't get to know each other better. And the best way to do that where there's no agenda is around a meal, right? So we're contemplating through uh, May, June, July, August, and beyond doing two things. One of them is that we're going to just start holding potlucks immediately following church. And uh, weather permitting and things permitting, we're just going to simply tell everybody, bring a dish. And when the food runs out, it runs out. And we're just going to sit around and talk and connect and get to know each other. Are you with me? Like, how many of you feel like, I'm a, I feel like stranger, you know? And uh, I just love and miss so many of you, newer faces and older faces and uh, to do that. And then uh, my wife and I are going to begin to open up our house for different picnic events uh, and so forth. If you're crazy, I won't be inviting you over my house. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're not crazy, if you're crazy in a good kind of way, we'll, we'll be doing that uh, as time goes by. And I would also encourage this, that many of you take that initiative. Um, you are welcome as a leader in this church, if you're known and you're a part of this community and you're like, I really would love to activate something, you're welcome to do it. My hope is, is that we'll fill up the bus and we'll take trips and we'll just do, hey, everybody, guess what? Next Saturday, we're going to, Northeast Christian Church is going to take over Hampton Beach. Let's all rally here and get yourself there. And wouldn't that be great to just watch our kids splash around and, and all that kind of stuff? And, you know, so I'll be wearing a suit and tie at the beach, by the way. I want to give a shout out to my friend Dave, who's here with us today. Bro, love you and appreciate having you here. And so many of you I can't see with the light, but um, I know you're here. Hello. Um, please give attention to this as well, too. I don't mean to be so wordy before I give an Easter message, but there's some great things going on in here. First of all, next week, I have a special message entitled Storms, and you are not going to want to miss this. As we talk about some storms, Jesus says, peace be still. Other ones, he says, just keep rowing. 
And then in rare occasion, every once in a while, he says, defy it all and walk over it. And so I, I, I encourage you to come here. If you know anyone who is struggling and uh, we all eventually struggle, it'll be a timely word for some and a timeless word for others. But uh, not to be self-promoting here, but I just happen to say that I think we have the best Father's Day event, the pig roast. And uh, that's going to be a crusher. It's going to be awesome. And uh, the one I'm really excited about is our young at heart. If you're here and you're 49 years or younger, raise your hand real quick. Okay, I did that to just save face for everybody who is 50 and older. But if you are 50 and older, you are part of the young at heart. And so I was like, man, you guys got time. Like we got to do stuff. So we're going, we're going to, we're going to cruise to the beach. That's right. You're never too old to get a tan. And uh, we're going to go up to New Hampshire. We're going to go leaf peeping and we can only fit 14 in the bus, but we're going to make that happen. We love you. We value you. We need your wisdom in our church and in our lives. And so we just want to say, we appreciate you. So, all right. Commercial's over. There we go. Luke 24, let me read it to you. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love Easter. I like the word of God, but man, the resurrection of Jesus, without the resurrection, everything in the gospel is worthless. Unless Jesus rose from the dead, everything in the gospel was worthless. Listen to this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went out to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, listen to this, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. I want to talk to you about looking for Jesus in the right place. In other words, in simple, Easter changes everything. The cross is the center where God and humanity met, where Jesus died the death that we deserved and allows us to bring all of our garbage, all of our guilt, and hand it to him and in exchange he gives us his righteousness. It's not even ours. We get right standing before God because we realize that there's a God and we're not him. And that we need a savior because we are sinners. And we come before God in humility and we say, that should have been my death. That should have been my punishment. And we bring our guilt and our shame to Jesus and lay it at his feet. And in exchange, he gives us forgiveness. He gives us hope. He gives us a second chance a new beginning, a fresh start. You know, when that day happened, the disciples weren't prepared for it. And when Jesus shows up in our life in a similar way, I think really deep down inside, none of us are really prepared for it either. I mean, we sit back and we go through life and we're like Easter and we go and we see Jesus at Christmas and, and, and all of that. But sometimes when you really stop to pause and to think about what Jesus has done and what this thing is all about, the gospel 
is the greatest news the world has ever heard, that Jesus is not here in a tomb. He is living, risen God at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. That's a big group of words that sounds really fancy, but at the end of the day, if the cross was all that happened, it wouldn't have mattered. You see, the truth is, is back in Jesus' day, there were thousands of people being crucified. One, one historian talks about how there were no trees left for bodies and no bodies that weren't hung on trees. Josephus, a historian, says there were 2,000 crucified in one day. At one point, he says there were 4,000, and then even as many as 6,000 people. Jesus was one in a crowd of thousands that hung the traitor's death of capital punishment on that. What made him different was that he lived the life you and I could not live, a holy, righteous, sinless life. And what made his death on that cross different from all of the thousands of people that ever died on it was the fact that he didn't deserve to be there. Remember the story of the, the thieves on the cross, one at his left and the right. And if you look at that word, it's not thieves. It means rebellious murderers, lest I. Here Jesus is between two murderers, and one of them says, hey, you could do all these kind of wonderful miracles. Get us out of here. Bail us out. And the other guy on the other side says, hey, shut up. What are you talking to him like that for? You and I are getting what we deserve, but he doesn't belong to be here. And then he says to Jesus, Jesus, when you enter your kingdom, please remember me. And the words of Jesus turns to him and says this. He says, he says, I tell you the truth, this day you'll be with me in paradise. It's never too late to give your life to Christ. Never. And I think we're going to be shocked at how many people at the last moment said, why did I do that? God, please forgive me. Jesus is waiting to forgive you. Wanting to forgive you. He did for you and I what we can't do for ourselves. But there has to be that exchange. We can't be using Jesus as a bailout Jesus, as a crisis Christianity, as a, as, as a crisis Christ, that we just come to him simply for our problems, but that we have a real understanding like that other thief on the cross that says, I deserve this. He doesn't. I mean, that's a, that's a cheap, that's a raw exchange. Jesus is getting the, the worst end of the deal, but he says, this is why I came, that I could, I could bring that no one would perish, but that you would have not just life, but eternal life. And we hand him that guilt and that shame, and he hands us in return the gift of forgiveness and right standing with God. Now, if you look at the New Testament if you were a lawyer and you were asked to take this case, lawyers would be tripping over each other to take it because this case of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and Easter resurrection, where Easter changed everything, is what we call clear and convincing proof. The witnesses are beyond belief. Now, here's the thing. The, the heart can't receive what the mind can't perceive, Right? But there are some things that where sometimes you just have to, you'll always have questions and excuses and get trapped in circular reasoning. But I think it's just good for me to mention a couple of things, at least mentally here, for those of you that are watching online that are here or maybe watching this at a future time and saying, I don't, I don't know about this whole thing of, of Jesus. Well, look at the lineup. They go there and the women see the angels and Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene and then he appears to, to the other women. He shows himself to Simon Peter. Two people are walking on the road to Emmaus. They see him and they come back to the disciples. And there, when the disciples are gathered, now it's only 11. 
In walks Jesus, and there's Thomas. I don't know where you fit if you were to compare yourself to one of the apostles, but I would probably be Thomas. I'd be like, really? Seriously? Thomas said this, he says, I will not believe unless I put my hand in the holes where the nails were and my hand in his side. They're all saying, Thomas, we saw him. And it's almost, you could, you could sympathize with him. I mean, this was the most beautiful relationship he had ever experienced in his life. All of his hopes were wrapped up in Jesus and it was like, it was murdered there. And, and they're just saying, but we've seen him. And he's like, don't tease my heart. Stop playing with me like this. Just, I will not believe unless I touch the wounds in his hand. And all of a sudden, Jesus pops in and says, if that's what you need. He says, Thomas, put your hand in the wounds. And he does. Put your hand in the side. And he does. We can say what we want about Thomas, but the truth is Jesus went out of his way to show him, which means that God cares about our heart and our head working together. Thomas needed that, but then Jesus made a statement thinking about you and me years later because Jesus would be at the right hand of the Father. And he says this, he says, Thomas, you believed because you saw me, you touched me. But blessed are those who believe that didn't need to go through that process. And that leaves us with all of these witnesses. There's one moment where Jesus shows himself to 500 people at the same time. It's very difficult to coordinate a 500-person hallucination that's in sync. He said this, he did this, he did that. You, you, you could just picture, you know, the, the FBI's involved, right? And they're like, so what did he say? Well, he said this and he said that. And then what did he do? Well, he moved left and then right. And then, you know, I just... And, and they get that 500 times. Like, how do, you, how do you line that up? 500 people at one point. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Then you have all of these crazy ideas, these doubts that could come to our mind. And they're fair to, to question, but one of them is like, oh, well, they, they robbed the grave. They stole the body of Jesus, right? That, well, that would make sense unless you really understand what the Roman Empire was all about. When a tomb was sealed, it was sealed with the, with the, with the emperor's seal and the procurator, which would have been Pilate, with strings so that if you broke that seal, it was punishable by death. Nobody's breaking into a, a tomb to steal a body at, the, at threat of the Roman Empire. It just makes absolutely no common sense. Then they're like, well, his disciples stole, stole the body. Okay, right. Now these guys that are fearing for their life, only one of them's at the cross, and the rest of them are shaking in, in a room, in hiding, worried for their lives, somehow get the idea that they're going to overcome the guards and steal the body and of course, just create what's called the lie theory where they're gonna, they're gonna back up the words of Jesus and they're gonna keep it alive. Well, that would make sense unless you understand that every single one of the apostles died a gruesome martyr's death. Who would do that for a lie? Do you know that there have been more martyrs in the last 100 years than ever since the time of Jesus up until 1901? More people now. Even to this day, people who are giving their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ, billions of people, billions of lives that have been laid down and changed. And then I love this one, the swoon theory, right? Jesus was nailed to a cross. He was stabbed in the side with a spear, but 
He really wasn't dead. He just came out of shock and chucked the rock. And here he is. Like, that makes absolutely no sense. Somebody to go through that kind of an experience and do that. It's interesting to me that the word witness, where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, literally is the word martyr, martyreo. Someone who is living dead, but also is willing to die for that cause. When you look at the witnesses, when you look at all these theories, it just, it just doesn't make sense. I want you to know here, Easter changed everything. He, why do we look for the living among the dead? We look in crazy places for Jesus, often, I think, in the wrong places, right? I love Christmas. We, just like uh, Lindsay was saying earlier, like we turned the whole, we said if it was good enough for animals to take Jesus in, we'll bring animals into the building. And so we started doing this whole uh, uh, living nativity and, um, you know, we just, we're not afraid of bringing animals into the church and sometimes even ducks and lambs and those kind of things. But he's not in a manger anymore. I mean, we love cute little Jesus in his manger, but he's not in a manger. He's risen from the dead. He's at the right hand of the Father. And we remember him at Christmas, but he's not in Christmas anymore. And then, of course, the cross. And hear me. You can't live at the cross, but you can die there. I love the cross, but understand that the cross is not where Jesus intended every single one of us to live our life. The cross is the place where we make the exchange for our guilt and our sin, where he was our one and done sacrifice, forgiveness for our sin, where we are saying, I'm a sinner, you're a savior. Jesus, that should be me up there. Please forgive me of my sins. He takes our guilt and shame. We, we receive his righteousness. We are made right and have access to the Father because the, 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 the blameless son of God died a death for the shameless creation of man, you and me, and you can, you can die at the cross. He invites us to come and die and to pick up our cross daily and to, and to die and to get rid of our sin, but that's not the place where you do your living. He is the resurrection and the life, and sometimes I think so many people, they just simply stay at the cross their whole life, and they're, they're, they're walking through with a martyr, gruesome kind of perspective of Christianity, and they forget the words of Jesus where he says, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. It's done. It's done. He did it. We celebrate it, just like Christmas, just like the manger, just like the cross. But we don't live there. We die there. And then you come to the tomb. And so many people, they, they, they walk into the tomb, and they're like, it's Easter. Let's go to church. Um, he's not there. He's not there. The angel said this, he said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. He's risen from the dead. Easter changed everything. Friends, church, church family. He's not dead in a tomb. He's alive in us. He's not dying on a cross. He's risen. 
and he's taken our guilt and our shame, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. He's not nestled in a manger, but he's on a throne, and he has all power and all authority, and he holds a book in front of him called the Book of Life, and whosoever would come before him and say, God, please forgive me of my sin, my guilt, my shame. Come into my life. Change me. Help me to become the right kind of person. Work on me. Send your spirit to be with me. Help me get into your word and into a relationship with him. And billions upon billions of people across the world have taken that step and have been changed. And that in itself is a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where God can take the most sinful, shameful person and change them forever. (laughs) I have a friend who, right now, he's actually going to be speaking with us on Father's Day. He's a good friend of mine, Dr. Mike Caparelli. He's got his PhD in behavioral science. And he's been given permission to interview an inmate on, who's been on death row for forever. Uh, some of you who are around for a long time might remember the phrase, the 44 caliber killer, son of Sam, David Berkowitz. Uh, if you're on Netflix, you've probably watched and skimmed through a couple of those things on there. Some of them are just crazy theories. But he's writing a book, and he's looking at demonic possession and uh, the occult and... Um, Uh, murder and serial killers. And so he's been doing this for years, going in and talking with different serial killers. Some of them he's cut off relationships with. He's like, they're they're just totally out of their mind. But David Berkowitz is unique. Now, for for those of you that might not have heard of him or not know, he was called the 44 caliber killer, the son of Sam. And the reason he was called the son of Sam is that there was a dog in the neighborhood that he said was a, there was a demon in it, 4,000 year old demon that possessed the dog and told him to do what he did. And so he would just go up and, and he was responsible for attempting to take the lives of 14 people. If you look at any of the video footage when he was being arrested, he's got this sadistic, crazy look and smile on his face. Um, There were a whole bunch of traumatic experiences that happened in his life. And so Mike has been going back and forth there. And the reason that this has been uh, possible is because David, David Berkowitz, this, this individual, has invited him to do it. Because while he was in prison, while he was going through that experience, all of the torture, all of the pain, all of the murder that he was responsible for, there was somebody in that prison that continually came up to him again and again saying, David, Jesus loves you, and he can forgive you. Wouldn't it be something if God took away all of the guilt and punishment and shame that you deserve and took that on himself and in return granted you a pardon for your life? And there in New York State Prison, the son of Sam, a serial killer, genuinely gave his life to Jesus Christ. He's been up for parole on multiple occasions because the death penalty was not in place when his crime happened, and he's refused it. And he said, I have forfeited the right for me to be released from prison because of the evil that I did and the wrong that I did. I'm guilty for that. But you listen to the man talk. I encourage you, Google it. The man is genuinely born again. You could look at Ted Bundy or, or, or Jeffrey Dahmer. None of that. You, you just, uh, Ted Bundy, towards the end of his life, uh, had a conversation with James Dobson and potentially gave his life to Christ. It seems like it was, it was a genuine thing, but he had no time to live that out. He, he ended up going to death row date uh, hours later. But David Berkowitz has been a living testimony that 
you may be beyond hope, but you are not beyond Jesus. And listen to me when I say that, because it's easy for us to be a part of this lie called the gospel of good person. Well, I'm not, a, I'm not like him. I'm a good person. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I just wonder if, if God is powerful enough to forgive somebody like that and to resurrect his character and change him and continue to change him and make him, you, you, you would never even believe that he was responsible for what he did because Jesus Christ has changed him. And I don't know what your tomb holds, but I think sometimes we look for the living among the dead. Maybe you've been detached from a regular, deep, and genuine relationship. Maybe there was a time in your life where you actually had a relationship with God. You were connected with him. You felt a call. And now you're at this place where your life is rotting away. Your shame and your guilt and your sin is all that you can smell in your life. And you keep going back to that old place saying to yourself, oh, if I just only did it right, if I just... If I never did that, but it's too late. It's never too late. Listen to me. Easter changes everything. He is not here, and he is not there in your past failures. He's here in front of you, the living God holding out his hand saying, I can forgive that. I can change that. I can make new from that. It might not be what it was, but it doesn't have to be what it is. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he is dead, yet shall he live. God can walk into the dead areas of your life and bring life to them if you'll let him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as I, as I close, because I want to hold some bunnies. I have a classmate. His name is Kevin DeYoung. He's an author. He wrote a great book called Just Do Something. Every Bible college student should read this book. It's like, I don't know. I want the will of God. He's like, just do something, please. You know, our church motto is really simple. Find a need and meet it. Doesn't her dress look beautiful? <laughs> look like an Easter bunny going there. <laughs> find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. And find the joy of serving, because if you find the joy of serving, you'll never want to be served again. That's how so many people have connected in our community. And he wrote that great book. I, I recommend it to you. But he said this great statement concerning Easter that I, I just want to read to you. He says, if there's ever a man who knew his mission on earth, it was Jesus. Multiple times in the gospel, Jesus said he would suffer and die at the hands of men, and on the third day he'd raise again. This is why the Father sent the Son into the world, to live the perfect life we never could, to die the shameful death we deserved, to give us eternal life, and to make us his people. It's not just simply about the cross. It's about the resurrection. It's about the newness of life. It's the change that Jesus wants to bring to be a part of your life on a daily, regular basis. And you never do that alone. You do that in community. You do that in God's word. You do that in God's house. It's a process. It's a journey. It's a hard thing. And it was a hard thing for me when I bore so much shame 
and wickedness and evil and violence and perversity in my life. And then somebody said, you're forgiven and it's all gone. It, it took, I, I, I had so much trouble because I know who I was. But the more I thought about it, I was like, I'm not that person. Jesus took that. I'm new in Christ. And that's when the Holy Spirit was introduced into my life. You see, the Father is the creator who sent the Son. The Son came and did the work that none of us could do. He died in our place, brought that resurrection. The cross without the resurrection is worthless. He resurrects from the dead, proving that he's God. But then he said this, he says, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan and I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to send you my spirit and he'll be with you to lead you into all truth. And the starting point of a relationship with God starts at the cross where we know what we aren't as much as we know what we are and we confess that to God. It moves through the tomb it walks out, even though you kind of might still have the smell of death on you from your sin. It, it takes time for the truth to settle in and catch up and for us to air our lives out. It's a process. You still can be all wrong and still be all right in, in relationship with Jesus if you're walking before him. But you can't do it on your own. You need an invitation to go out to heaven to say, God, you're not going to come down on earth and walk in sandals. I'm not going to be one of the 12 with you. You've sent your spirit. And if that was good enough for your disciples, then it's good enough for me now. See, I think for some of you that once knew a great relationship with God, what aches the most about this is that you remember what it was like to feel the love of God, to feel the approval of God, to feel the presence of God. And where hell would love to keep you is in that grave and say, just wait around here, story ended. You'll never be what you could have been. You'll never do what you should have done. And that's the biggest lie. See, Jesus isn't in there. He's standing outside your grave. And he's saying, take my hand and walk by faith. Know that I accept you the way you are and I'm going to make you who I can make you become. It might not be how you picture it, but if you'll trust me and you'll walk with me, my spirit will journey with you. I'll talk to you through my word. I'll talk to you through my people. I'll talk to you through my church. And one day you'll look back and the person you were at that hopeless hour and the person you are will be so unfamiliar to each other because people will then begin to look at you and say, I just can't tell where that person ends and where Jesus begins. That's discipleship. That's my prayer for you. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're watching online, I'd encourage you just to take the same posture. Just pause from whatever it is that you're doing. If you're watching this weeks down the road, just pause with what you're doing and enter this moment. God's spirit is there as much as he is here with us now. I want to take care of the first part here is that sometimes you just need to be born again, again. Maybe you've done this, but some, some that are here maybe have never taken this step. 
I'd love you to pray this prayer with me if, if this is the conviction of your heart, if you could honestly repeat these words. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Become my Savior. I receive your holiness. It's yours, not mine. I hand you my sinfulness. It's mine, not yours. Thank you. Father, please send your Holy Spirit to walk with me, to guide me, to lead me into all truth. I am not alone. Help me build roots. Help me produce fruit. Help me to learn from others. Speak through your word. Change me forever. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer, I believe two things happened. And to some of us, it happened again. It's God's just reminding you. He knows what you are and he knows what you're not. He doesn't love you because of good behavior. He loves you because you're his, faults and all. And he has the power to reset. And those of you that prayed that prayer, you have a reset, you have a fresh start, you have a new beginning. But not only that, that invitation for God's spirit to guide and lead you, it's going to be like that gut instinct in you. Sometimes it's going to say no. Sometimes it's going to say go. Sometimes it's going to just come in and like, yeah, you should go to that thing. Or you should do this or whatever. But God is going to lead you. And I just want to put a plug here selfishly for the greatest uh, bestseller of all time, the Bible. You should pick up the Gospel of Luke and start reading it. Uh, don't start in Leviticus. Get discouraged. Um, allow God to speak to you directly. He's your father. He's your savior. He loves you. And he still loves you. So Lord, I just thank you for the privilege of pastoring these people. I thank you for the honor of being your son. I thank you that we're not who we used to be because you've given us your righteousness and forgiveness. We don't deserve it, but we receive it. Help us to grow in a relationship with you and to stop looking for you and looking for the living among the dead. You're not there in our past failures. You're not on a cross. You're not in a manger and you are not in a tomb. You are here in our heart, risen by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song as we close and then invite you to follow the guide through the back there. But thank you for the honor of being your pastor. Thank you for joining us here. Next week, I want to encourage you with an anchor of God's way in the storm. Join us next week and enjoy all that we have for you, especially this song that the team has worked so hard at. God bless you.
Thank you so much for joining us for service today. To rewatch today's sermon, you can search for it on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcast. And again, to keep up with all that's going on here at the church, you can go on lolag.org or ne-cc.org. Thank you again and have a great day.